listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, February 13th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Should there be a permitting and emissions inspection process for commercial buses in Sitka? That's a question the Sitka Assembly will take up tonight when it considers an ordinance that would establish an emissions standard for commercial buses in Sitka and issue a limited number of permits for buses that pass inspection. Sitka's cruise industry is growing, but most cruise ships dock six miles away from downtown Sitka and the passengers are bussed into town. With the number of passengers more than doubling pre-pandemic levels, concerns about traffic congestion and pollution have ranked high among Sitkins, calling for a cap on cruise traffic. Assembly members Tor Christensen and Tim Pike co-sponsored the ordinance, which seeks to address concerns about increased bus traffic. It would cap the number of bus permits at 10, and in order to secure a permit, the bus would need to pass an inspection and meet the EPA emissions standard for the year the bus was manufactured. Permits would not be required for electric buses, school buses, or public transit buses like the ride, or any bus that holds fewer than 40 passengers. In other business, the Assembly will consider on final reading whether to amend Sitka's all-purpose vehicle rules, removing quiet hours and allowing two-seater ATVs to drive on local roads. And it will consider a resolution in support of the State Department of Transportation's plan to seek funding to repair the airport runway seawall. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast that meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. A small rock slide occurred on Sawmill Creek Road early Monday morning, damaging the concrete barrier between the hillside of the highway and temporarily closing the road. A photo posted to Facebook by the Alaska Department of Transportation shows several large boulders in the road near the Mile 5 marker. Boulders were cleared out of the area, but due to continued rockfell activity, DOT closed a section of the road to non-essential traffic until the geotechnical team could evaluate the situation. They reopened the road shortly before 9 a.m. KCAW has reached out to the Alaska DOT for more information. The amount of seismic activity under Mount Edgecombe has picked up over the past few weeks, but most of the quakes are quite small. A recent bulletin from the Alaska Volcano Observatory reports that 84 quakes were detected under Mount Edgecombe over a two-day period on January 27th and 28th and have been continuing at a rate of about 10 per day. 91% of the quakes have been small, magnitude 1 or less, and the rest have been magnitude 2 or less. All have been occurring far below the surface and are likely the result of the intrusion of magma into the rock of the Earth's crust. None of the activity suggests an eruption of any size is imminent. The AVO says the uptick in quakes is partially due to the installation of a seismic network on the mountain last year. In other words, we're seeing more quakes now because more quakes are now detectable. Nevertheless, Mount Edgecombe's status remains green or normal. To date, the largest concentration of quakes is the original swarm that was recorded in April of 2022. Subsequent satellite measurements of the mountain detected some deformation and inflation of Edgecombe's flanks, prompting the AVO to reclassify the volcano as historically active. Ketchikan has a long history of brothels. The old bordellos have all shut down, but as of last week, a new red light is illuminating the first city, a new adult boutique and burlesque venue with a unique twist. KRBD's Jack Darrell reports on how the Madams of the Red Lantern plan to honor the history of Alaska's original red light district while also bringing attention to the issues of consent, femininity, and inclusive sexual health. Sultry tunes fill the Red Lantern as its owners prepare for opening day. It's snowing lightly outside. Prosecco is on ice, and chocolates are on the lounge tables. Frill and lace and plush velvet fill the little space, which is above the totem bar. If it wasn't for the large, ornate Red Lantern hanging above the well-known dive bar, 
you might miss it. The store upstairs is being opened by friends and co-owners Jillian Piazza and Jacqueline Pope. A couple times throughout this process, we've looked at each other and we're like, too late now. Yeah. <laughs> we're already <laughs> in too deep. But... Don't back out on me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, on, now on our opening day, it's like all come to fruition. Piazza says this moment is a long time in the making. I've always wanted to start an adult toy shop, so that was an idea about 10 years ago. She and Pope have been working together for seven years as servers at the New York Cafe in Ketchikan. They began going into business together two years ago. Um, we really busted our butts mostly the last six months of just like grind, grind, grind to get this just to, for today to happen. The pair moved into the space in June and with the help of their partners and friends, renovated it themselves. So we are in here after our regular day jobs and on the weekends and just kind of poured all of our own um, along with our partners, like blood, sweat, and tears into this place. I just pricked my finger today, so <laughs> fresh blood. They also threw themselves into raising money for the boutique by doing pop-up burlesque shows around town. The most recent was a Christmas-themed show at the Sourdough Bar. Piazza, fully green and barely recognizable, heckled the crowd as a sexy, scantily-clad Grinch. It's an art form that Piazza and Pope say is new to them. They chose burlesque names Evelyn Rowe and Lacey Lupine, respectively, and started with a few shows to raise money for the shop. The Red Lantern will soon have a stage, which is currently being built with the help of Pope's husband, Connor. Burlesque name, Seymour Derriere. Piazza says now the burlesque troupe can hold performances right here, as well as other things. I mean, even like yoga classes or we're working with someone to do uh, sexual education for adults. Pope says that sexual education is a core component of what they want to bring to Ketchikan. We also focus on a lot of health things. Um, all of our, our lubes and stuff are organic and good for your body. Some of our nice lingerie is actually nursing bras because we want to highlight also um, new mothers. Piazza says an important part of the education is inclusivity catering not just to straight couples or female sexuality, but welcoming all genders, as well as the queer community. Very important that uh, people don't just think of sex as like this naughty pleasure thing. It's, um, it's your body, um, it's anatomy, it's science. So we want that to be obvious. It's very comfortable and pleasurable in here, but it matters that you know um, we're paying focus to how our bodies need health and care. Part of that is reflected in the space's design. The pair says they avoided flesh-toned products or toys with raunchy packaging, more suggestive than graphic. Pope says they wanted it to look like someone's living room you'd hang out in, a living room that just happens to be filled with lingerie and body oils. Well, it's sexy. <laughs> we definitely try to choose color palettes and lighting and stuff that's not typical for this type of shop. Uh, we It's very um, purple and green, and there's florals and gold accents everywhere. It looks vintage, which Piazza says is the point. We also leaned into the 1920s, 30s prohibition era um, to go along with our theme of what we want to be, you know, talking about during our burlesque show. Um, so it's very comfortable, but has like an antique kind of dusty vibe, although I swear we're not dusty, we're dusting continually. <laughs> The so-called dusty antique vibe plays into the theme of the burlesque shows they plan to do come cruise ship season, a history of Keshkan's brothels and the women that staff them. There's something to be said about the, the people that worked Creek Street, I mean, that owned brothels. Um, 
that was like some of the first female entrepreneurs um and uh, you know there's that stigma of because of the work they were doing they're looked down on but they were incredible hard-working people piazza says they want to honor the tradition of those original female entrepreneurs but also the forms of abuse the women of ketchikan's prostitution industry faced but um also just getting to tell the true history of things things that aren't so fun to talk about um about ketchikan or specifically creek street um, we want to bring light to that. Pope says this coming season, they plan to host a burlesque show that will tell the story of Creek Street, which will be geared towards tourists up to three times a day on weekdays. So we're trying to find specific stories that happened in Ketchikan, around Ketchikan, with the women of the Creek Street. Besides that, though, she says the store is specifically geared towards year-round locals, more than the tourism industry. And that's the scene today, at the opening as some locals begin to filter into the space and look around, flitting through lingerie sets and books about trauma-informed sexual well-being or Japanese bondage. In Ketchikan, I'm Jack Darrell. The Juno Assembly unanimously approved more than $3 million in loans last week toward two local housing projects. The money comes from the city's affordable housing fund. The first loan was approved for $900,000 and will go toward building 18 one-bedroom apartments on Cordova Street in West Juneau. The second loan is for $2.2 million and will help build 48 apartments at the Chilcat Vistas subdivision in Lemon Creek. Mike Human is the developer for the Chilcat Vistas subdivision. He said that without the city's loans, he likely would have built condos rather than apartments. Apartments don't pencil out. That's why no developers build them in this town. But with this money, you guys make it possible. You make it, it's the only way it's going to happen. The developer of the West Juno project agreed that the apartments built would rent at or below $1,400 per month, adjusted for inflation annually for the term of the loan. Human agreed to similar terms for 14 of his apartments. He also agreed that 31 units would be available to people who make 80% or less than the Juno area median income, which equals about $1,700 for an efficiency unit per month. Both projects are not allowed to use the apartments as short-term rentals until the loan is repaid. The Assembly recently received public backlash after a project that received a loan from the Affordable Housing Fund announced its units would be sold at market rate. Joshua Adams, a local landlord in Juneau, testified at the meeting last week and argued that the two projects needed more guardrails to ensure they remain affordable. We're not going to solve the housing crisis by more building of overpriced housing. It's like building boutique hotels to alleviate homelessness. Juneau residents don't need more housing. They need housing to be more affordable. He said the projects the Affordable Housing Fund supports are often geared towards seasonal workers rather than low-income residents who live in Juneau year-round. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 